We are concluding our series on first principles this morning. As we think about our text in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, the elementary doctrine of Christ. And as we think about, as I want to conclude this series, as we think about these things that we've talked about, I want to reiterate again, as we think about the elementary doctrine, the first principles of Christianity, these are the things without which you can't be a Christian. These are the, the ideas and the principles and the knowledge that are the base level of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Hebrews 6, let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, the instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This is, of course, the last week in this series. Next week, not next week, two weeks from now, I won't be here next week, uh, we're going to begin a series on encountering Jesus. Some of the, the times in the Gospels where people had encounters with Jesus and what he taught them and what he showed them and, and things that we learn about Jesus from this as we as we are going to go into in a couple weeks but as we said last week we think about the last two items here the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment it's hard to separate these two ideas the resurrection and judgment these are so intrinsically linked in a couple of different ways as we think about the new testament even the old testament as we think about these fundamental ideas I, think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence the Hebrew author ends the list with eternal judgment. Of course, he's going to go on in chapter 6 to talk about judgment and, and the importance of that. In chapter 9 and 10, he's going to reiterate that. But most basically, as we think about the link between the resurrection and judgment, they are linked because one follows the other, right? Resurrection and then judgment. They are, they're just linked in time and space. We talked about this on Wednesday night. John 5, 25 through 29. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live as the Father has life in himself. So he has granted the Son to have life in himself. He has given him all authority. That is the pronouns, right? I wish we had more proper nouns here. The Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Importantly, and I made this point last week, I made this point on Wednesday night, who will be raised from the dead? Everyone. Everyone will be raised from the dead. Now hear the contrast, and we're going to see this a couple of times in John. The, the contrast is between judgment and life. But we understand in the broader scheme of things, and this is a, an important analogy, but we understand that everyone's going to be judged. Hebrews 9, 27. Just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, he already did that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What is he saving them from in the second appearing? Well, it's not death. Everyone's going to die. He's saving us from judgment, right? It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. He's going to appear a second time to save us from the con condemnation of judgment, the negative judgment that might come. He's coming to save us from that. John, uh, 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. The point is not that the faithful will escape being judged, but rather the faithful have nothing to fear from judgment. Why do I have nothing to fear from judgment? Because Christ is going to appear a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
I will be judged. I will face judgment. All of us will. Everyone will. But those who are in Christ have nothing to fear from judgment. That's what's meant in John 5. Truly, I truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That idea, keep that in mind as we read this. John said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him that you may marvel as the Father raises the dead and gives them life. The important contrast between judgment and life has to do with eternity, right? He raises them and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one. He has given all judgment to the Son, that who all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The Father judges no one. It's an interesting phrase as we think about this idea of judgment, tied to the resurrection. The Father judges no one has given all judgment to the Son. Which is why in Hebrews, he's coming a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He is able to save us because he's the judge. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus and the apostles on numerous occasions emphasize that Jesus is the judge in large part because of the resurrection. Why we cannot separate the resurrection from judgment is the resurrection is the thing that makes Jesus the judge. Acts 17, 29. Being then God's offspring. We not ought to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. That is, he's not an idol. We can't make him. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance. What ignorance? The ignorance that God is not an idol, right? That God is not a, a, a material object. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who? The man by which he will judge the world. The resurrection is God's ultimate evidence to humanity. The assurance to all that judgment is coming. We know that because of the resurrection. What gives Jesus the right to judge? Well, again, it's tied to the resurrection. John 8, 25. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just as I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. I have much to judge, says Jesus. But he who sent me is true and I declare the world, to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They were so dumb, as so many people are today. We are so dumb. We're like sheep. The analogy of being like sheep is not a compliment. I don't know if you know that. The analogy of being like a sheep is... We need a shepherd, right? We need somebody to guide us. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, that's of course talking about the crucifixion, you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I have much to say and much to judge. What is Jesus saying over and over again? I, I'm just saying and judging the things that God is, the Father has given me. Why has he given them to Jesus? Because Jesus always does the things pleasing to the Father. The resurrection was evidence 
that the Father had given judgment to the Son, but he only did so because Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus has the right to judge because he has gone through this life without failing. He's gone through this life without needing to be condemned. He alone, of every human that has ever lived, always did what was pleasing to the Father. So he stands in judgment. What gives you the right? I did it, says Jesus. What gives you the right to judge me? I've been where you are, and I did it perfectly, says Jesus. The concept of the resurrection and judgment are inseparable because they are both fundamental parts of the life and purpose of Jesus. Really, the point of the incarnation as a whole, we talk about the incarnation, it's a fancy word, what does that mean? Deity becoming flesh. Why go through that whole business? Why go through all the business of, of God, the creator, infinite spirit, eternal spirit, taking on human flesh, this horrible meat suit that we all have, and becoming human and living like us? What's the point? The point is the resurrection and judgment, the judgment that is to come. The resurrection was a confirmation. Jesus lived perfectly, and thus to be left to death would be injustice on God's part. He says that in Acts 2, right? You have not abandoned my soul to Hades. God couldn't abandon his soul to Hades. He didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve death. He was perfect. And so God raised him from the dead. The resurrection then serves as a warning. God has the power to destroy. And Jesus has the authority to judge by virtue of his perfection. We see that in the resurrection. What does Peter say? Or what does Paul say in Acts 17? God will judge the world by a man he, was, he has appointed and to all he has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. But finally then the resurrection reinforces the example of Jesus. You want to avoid the fear of judgment. That was the point, right? In perfect love, we have no fear of judgment. We have the confidence for the day of judgment. You want to avoid the fear of judgment. The way to overcome that fear is to follow and believe in Jesus, to live like he lived, to follow his example. This is the great paradox of the incarnation. Jesus, as the judge, came to provide a way to avoid judgment. He's going to judge. That's going to happen. The whole business of him becoming human was to provide us a way out. So I don't have to fear it. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to live in dread of the judgment to come because the judge came to save, to save me, to save you. John 3, 16 through 21, very famous verse, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. This word condemn, very closely tied to the word judge, right? What does a judge do? In large part, a judge condemns. They view the case. They find the evidence that, you know, arguments are presented. And, and we think about this in an eternal sense. It is very much like a court. Who is the accuser? The one who slanders, the one who stands as the prosecutor? That's the devil, right? He's the prosecutor. We stand before judgment and Satan is like, Ah, oh, this guy, Chris, he's horrible. Here's all the things that Chris has done. Let me submit this evidence to you, God. All the horrible things that Chris has ever done. The, the worst thoughts he's ever had. The ways that he's failed you over and over again. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Satan, he stands accusing, stands slandering all of us, every human that's ever lived. And Jesus comes and says, well, well wait, 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 wait a minute. I came to provide a way out of this. To provide a way of salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
That is, God hears the evidence and the guilty verdict is cast and into the resurrection of judgment we go. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light came into the world, has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What's the judgment? Jesus came, we either accept him or we don't. And if we don't accept him in this life, that's going to affect the judgment to come. And in, in some very real sense, the judgment is happening now. He came into the world. The light has come into the world. He became flesh. He dwelt among us, John 1. He's shown us the grace and truth of the Father. We can see, we can understand, we can believe in him. And if I don't choose to do that, what is facing me? Condemnation. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. Again, you think about the courtroom of seeing the judgment that is to come. I'd really like to hide my worst parts, right? I'd like, to, I'd like to keep those hidden. God, don't look at these things over here. These horrible things that I've done, let's just, let's just ignore those. I don't want to come into the light because it's going to be exposed. Well, that's going to happen. We try to hide. We bury it down deep. We don't think about it. In, in our lives, that's what we do, right? We just don't think about it. I don't want to think about those things that I've done. I don't want to think about all the things that I have to be ashamed of, to feel guilty of. And so we hide. We hide from Jesus. We hide from God. I don't want to come into the light. I don't want to think about what God has said. I don't want to think about the judgment to come. Because if I think about the judgment to come, then I'm going to have to expose the evil that I've done. I'm going to have to expose that in confession. I'm going to have to expose that in repentance. I'm going to have to do something about it. And that's, that's horrible. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that if his works have been carried out by God. Now, the great irony in this, the, the conundrum that we face, if we want God to acknowledge us, part of that is we have to acknowledge the, the evil that we've done. The benefit of that is, if we come into the light, we're told in another place, God is not so unjust as to forget your love and faithful works that you've done. Not only does God see the wicked that we've done, but he sees the good, the things that we're doing that are in accordance with truth. We believe in him. We believe in Jesus. We want to do the things that Jesus tells us to do. And God sees that too. Just Thus then Jesus embodies the dual nature of God. Perfect justice combined with never-ending mercy. I would call it a paradox, except it's not a paradox because God is infinite, right? The thing that enables this to be true is the infinite nature of God. Infinitely just and infinitely merciful. Romans 5, 6 through 9. The mercy of God demonstrated for why we were still weak. At the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified. That word justified, what does that mean? We've been made righteous. Now I'm not righteous. I have a bunch of sin in my life. Those wicked works, I'd like to stay hidden. I've been made righteous, justified. I don't have to fear judgment, the judgment that is to come because I've been made righteous, not because I was so great, but by his blood. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It is the best selling point of Christianity that Jesus, the judge, was willing to die for the condemned. Just think about that. The judge dying for the condemned. The creator willing to die for the created. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus does not pervert judge justice because judgment is still coming. It is unavoidable as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. You and I, everyone in this room, I can say with 100% certainty, everyone will face judgment. The difference is that Jesus has provided a way for people to confidently face that judgment. That's what 1 John is talking about, right? We have confidence in the day of judgment, knowing that that which would condemn me, my evil works, the things that I like to hide, the things I don't want to be exposed, those things that would lead to my condemnation, they've been paid for. The retribution, the wrath that is owed me because of those things has been meted out. It's not meted out on me, on Jesus in the crucifixion. He died so that by his blood I would not be lost, right? His blood covers that which would condemn me. Acts 10, 43. Acts 10, 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows... No partiality. No partiality means what? There's a number of different ways to, to, to apply that idea. Here he's going to talk about who can be acceptable to him. We might say it in one level back. There's no partiality. Everybody's going to face judgment. That's happening one way or the other. But what? But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news and of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee. After the baptism of John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, and with power, he went about doing good and was healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's the story of the Gospels, right? The life of Jesus. The light has come into the world. We, we can see it. We know it. We can see what Jesus did. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The idea of acceptable as it applies to judgment means you won't be condemned, right? You're, you're standing in judgment and the devil makes all his arguments and Jesus says, well, wait a minute, I, I paid for those sins. Those sins are, are, not, are not to be held against him. And then we are accepted. That is acquitted, maybe? We might use the word acquitted. We don't face condemnation. But it's that second part that's the kicker, right? How many people are going to be lost over the second part of this? What is the right... That God demands we do. Everyone who fears him, great. I just have to be afraid. But it's who does what is right. And really when we think about all of the disagreements in Christianity, it's that second part. What is the right that God expects? Part of that we've talked about in this series of fundamentals, of first principles. The repentance, the faith, the immersion. We've talked about these things. These are part of the right that God expects anyone in any nation, doesn't matter your background, your past, your history, I don't care what sin you've committed. You could have done the worst thing that anybody could ever think to do. But if you fear God and do what is right, you can escape judgment. That's the promise of the gospel. 
And we are witnesses, we keep reading, of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, talking about the apostles, some others too, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who is anointed by God, or appointed by God rather, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him. We said it last week. We'll iterate it again. Faith toward God. It's one of the things in our list that we've talked about. talked about several weeks ago. That belief begins with the question, do you believe in the resurrection? It's a very simple question. Do you believe that there was this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He lived this life, he died, and God raised him from the dead. It's, it's the foundation of everything. Because if you believe the resurrection, that's not the end of it. If you believe the resurrection, there's some important implications in that. The implication is, well, what does that tell us about Jesus? God raised him from the dead. Well, that means I probably better listen to what he said. I probably better listen to the things that he taught. I better listen to the people that he entrusted this knowledge to. That's what he says, right? The witnesses, those, those who he entrusted it to. He commanded us to preach the gospel. The resurrection is the core of all Christian teaching because the resurrection is the reason why anyone would believe in any Christian teaching. But he ends the list not with resurrection, but with judgment. The question, do you believe in the resurrection, ultimately why that matters is because judgment is coming. We'll all face it. Jesus will come back in 10 minutes. Those of us who are here, facing judgment. And everybody who lived 2,000 years ago, they will face judgment. But he has given us an opportunity that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Do I believe in the resurrection? The implications of that, do I believe not just in the resurrection, but all of what Jesus said and did and taught believing in him and doing what is right? That we can avoid the judgment that is to come? And so the invitation is very simple. To do what is right, to believe in him, and to do what he said to the best of our ability so that when Jesus comes back, not if, but when Jesus comes back, we have confidence for the day of judgment. Not fear, not living in fear of what's to come, but eagerly awaiting. What does he say? He appears a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Why am I eagerly waiting for him? Because I'm not afraid of judgment to come. Because I've repented, I've confessed, I've been united with him in immersion I'm living faithfully and I'm trying to do my best and, and I'm sinning every day, but I'm still confessing those things and asking for forgiveness and I'm trying to do better all the time. If you're ready to do that, come while we stand and sing.